0: Hello and welcome to the Modern Wool Podcast. We're sharing the secrets of sustainable small batch yarn straight from our mill, Abundant Earth Fiber. Our mill is nestled a stone's throw from the chilly waters of the Puget Sound here on Whidbey Island. I'm Lydia Christiansen. Thank you so much for listening. Well, in a regular episode of this podcast, you might hear me talk about a sheep breed or a project I've been working on at the mill. Well, this week we're going to take a break from wool breeds to explore a different topic: color. I've been doing a lot of dyeing lately, ever since we released our verdant DK weight yarn over dyed in our spring palette. You guys are keeping me hopping over the dye pot. So let's explore color. And The Wide World of Dyeing, I'll share some ideas about how we are affected by colors around us, as well as a crash course on acid dyes. Plus, I'm going to let you in on my favorite way to dye wool at home. This is a great time to try your hand at Dyeing Yarn at Home. So to go along with this episode, I've got a few gifts planned for you. First of all, I want to tell you about a coupon code worth 25% off all of our wool tincture color packs. Just enter code COLORFIX, one word, COLORFIX, at checkout to save. Secondly, and I'm so excited about this, if you place an order with us online anytime during the month of April, you'll be entered to win one of our weekly gift basket giveaways so excited. I'm putting together a gift basket every week full of different goodies. And if you want to see what's going into next week's gift basket, follow us on Instagram or just check out our feed on Instagram and you'll see what's coming up next. Again, just place an order with us online and you'll be entered to win. We depend on you. We need you. It doesn't need to be said, but now more than ever, We are relying on our online sales to get us through this difficult time. And we thank you for being there for us and for all the love and support that you've already sent us. We are now heading into our fifth week of the COVID-19 quarantine. The shelter-in-place stay-at-home order has been in effect here up in Washington State. Um, And maybe, you know, maybe it's been longer for you wherever you are. Oh man, it's a lot. Does anybody even know what day it is anymore? I have to be honest, it's been a total roller coaster. One minute, I'm clear minded and focused, and I know just what I need to do. And five minutes later, I'm playing Nintendo with my kids, thinking, what's the point <laughs> of anything anymore? A roller coaster. Alan and I. We're talking about it, and he said it's kind of like someone flipped the game board over and all the pieces have gone flying, and yet we still feel somehow expected to figure out a way to play the game. We have to keep going. All the rules have changed. So here we are, one day at a time. I'm staying at home with Alan, my husband, and our two sons, Leif, who's 11, Pavo, who's eight. We have two older boys that are safe in their homes on the East Coast. We're all safe. We're healthy. But it doesn't feel like we've found a new routine yet. Things keep changing day to day, week to week, it seems. Alan and I share the homeschool responsibilities, and we've both been including the kids in our day-to-day work that they normally wouldn't get to participate in because they'd be at school. All in all, we've been able to spend more time together as a family, which thankfully, we're all enjoying. Now, I know a lot of you are wondering how this pandemic is affecting everybody. How's this affecting business? Basically, we've furloughed all of our employees and I'm running the mill solo while Alan is keeping our online shop in order and and also taking care of shipping out all of your orders. So we've gone down to a two-person team. That's scary. Thankfully, raw materials is not a problem for me. I mean, I have so much wool here at the mill. I think I could keep myself busy for at least the next five years, maybe. But honestly, and I want to share this because I want other small businesses out there to know that they're not alone. This is terrifying, This is financially terrifying. This is white knuckle navigating over here for small businesses. Without being able to see one month ahead or to be able to reasonably project what your income is going to be in the next quarter, it's so hard to make decisions. It's just terrifying. Like so many other businesses out there, as I've said, we're putting all of our faith in our online sales to get us through this. So thank you. Thank you all for sticking with us and placing those orders online. It's terrifying, but for us, fear is not a reason to quit. And it never has been. I believe with conviction that creativity is a good path out of just about any problem. So... I guess I can say that maintaining a healthy, creative state of mind is the closest thing to a plan that we've got right now. We're going to just stay on our toes, take things one day at a time, be kind and forgiving with everyone, and balance the extra stress with extra rest and extra play. And when we find ourselves on the other side of this, I think we're going to have a lot to be proud of in ourselves. And in the meantime, I'm going to make some yarn. I'm going to make lots and lots of yarn. And I'll share with you what I can. So last month, I spun a huge batch of our Verdant Dark Gray DK weight yarn. And you all have been snatching it up, over-dyed in our spring palette. All five colors are just stunning. They're gorgeous. Go check them out. Um, You can still get them, and you've been keeping me on my toes. I've been doing a lot of dyeing lately, and I thought that that would make a great topic for this episode of the podcast. Let's talk about color. Let's talk about dyes. As human beings, we know that our senses are powerful. Smell is an incredibly powerful trigger for memories. And we know that familiar foods can transport us back in time to our childhoods. Music can be a mood-altering experience. In the 1980s, scientists discovered that environmental colors, meaning the colors that surround us, can impact our mental state, which is about when they started painting jail cells pink to soothe agitated inmates, and school classrooms yellow to stimulate learning. There's tons of references online that talk about which colors impact us in which ways. A lot of them, to be honest, are cultural. Some of them are more universal. There's no right or wrong way to see color. And in fact, I'm convinced that our perception of color does in fact vary from person to person whether that's biological or because of our different experiences with color. Each one of us perceives the world around us differently, naturally. Did you also know that color can be used medicinally? This is true. NPR reported last year that research done in 2016 shows green light is significantly less likely to exacerbate a migraine compared with other colors and in some cases can actually decrease the intensity of the headache. I'll leave the link to the article in our show notes if you want to check that out further. But the idea that color can be healing extends even farther back into ancient belief systems including the idea that our bodies generate energy at seven different points, each point having a different frequency, just like the spectrum of light that's shown in a rainbow. And that those colors can be used with intention to invigorate each point of energy in the body to heal the mind, imagination, the voice, heart, self-esteem, creativity, and personal sense of stability. You may recognize those as the chakras. Well, whether or not we assign meaning or intention to the colors around us, it's quite normal to be drawn to certain colors and for those color preferences to change over time. The right colors for you are whichever ones you're drawn to. I've spent a lot of time helping people pick out yarn colors And sometimes a person will know even before I ask them which color is for them. And sometimes it takes a few minutes to settle on a color only to realize it's the exact same color that they were wearing. That happens all the time. All right, so let's try something. Take a breath. (sighs) Close your eyes. Clear your mind. And imagine the color that you feel drawn to most right now. Take your time. This is the color you actually want to spend time with. You wouldn't mind being blanketed with this color or basking in its glow. What color do you see? Now open your eyes and look at what you're wearing. Is that color on you? Any matches? I'm also curious Did anyone have a hard time picturing just one solid color? Or did you find combinations or various shades of colors creeping in? That's normal too. Joseph Albers, in the book Interaction of Color, which I've mentioned before on this podcast, um, he says, in paraphrasing, the goal of studying color is to gather experiences or build up your awareness of how colors interact with each other. It's not so much about the science of color, but our unique individual perceptions of them. And you never really see a single isolated color anyway, do you? It's always in the context of other colors. The way color interacts with other colors is what leads us to our own unique perception of that color. The point is, color is more about context or the relationships that you create by putting one color next to another. Knowing how to use color or how to choose colors that you enjoy is not so much about the isolated color, but the bigger picture of where that color would be placed, which colors will be in front of it or beside it, beneath it, around it, It's looking at the big picture. In which context will that color be used? Well, that's a lot to think about. And if you'd like to read more from the master, his book is called Interaction of Color. I'll also leave a link to that in the show notes as well if you want to go find a copy. It's written for students. It's written as a book for students, either as a workbook or for personal study, but Personally, I thoroughly enjoyed it, just reading it straight through. I think the main thing is your perception is correct. However you perceive or experience the colors is the right way. That's your way. And there's no right or wrong way to perceive color. If you're somebody who doesn't have a whole lot of experience with playing with color and you'd like to, I highly encourage you to just Google palette generator. There's lots of tools online and many of them are free that will allow you to just line up different colors next to each other and play with different color combinations. Have some fun with that. Now, when it comes to dyeing yarn, there's a little bit more at stake, right? There's this precious, precious yarn that either you bought or somebody gave to you or that you've had sitting in your stash for a while, well, the yarn has value. And it can be really scary and intimidating to take on dyeing and possibly, oh, maybe it's going to work out, maybe it's not, or am I going to do it right or not? Up until recently, the only way to dye yarn was to purchase bulk powder dyes and go through the whole process. Put on your mask and gloves and cover your workspace, block off a Saturday or whatever, use all your dedicated pots and pans and equipment to create these dye pots and dye as much yarn as you can in this amount of time that you've you've blocked off for dyeing. Or invest in a dye studio and become a dyer and dedicate your time and your space to that process. Well, because I spend so much time here at the mill processing wool and spinning yarn, which is really what I love to do, I challenged myself to think of a way to dye that, number one, wouldn't take up that much of my time and also wouldn't make a big mess and also um, didn't require me to store a whole bunch of equipment. So <laughs> that's a tall order, Right. Well, I came up with an idea. I started to play with these bulk dyes and I came up with recipes that I liked for certain colors. And, um, I figured out that I could store the amount of dye that I need for one skein in a tea bag. And then I could save it for when I'm ready to dye and just put my kettle on, use my coffee kettle to heat the water and, and complete the dye process. So I used this process for my own, um, you know, curiosity and enjoyment for a little while before we realized that it was a lot of fun, and it worked, and we started sharing it with other people, and we now have the whole product line called Wool Tinctures, where we have a full palette of colors and and even a, a dye kit that comes with all the things that you need in a one-gallon-sized jar, to do this process at home. All you need is a way to heat the water. So now, dyeing can just be playing with color. And you don't have to know how to dye. You really don't even have to know how it works or why it works. The process is literally like making a cup of tea. You heat the water, pour it over the tea bag, introduce the yarn or roving or fiber, whatever you want to dye. And then gently stir in a packet of citric acid. It's all pre-measured, and there's no mess, and there's no fuss. You can do it with kids. It's a lot of fun, and you get to see through the dye jar that we use to dye in is a clear um, glass gallon-sized jar. So you can see the dye process take place, and that's really fun. The dye that's in the water transfers to the wool, And when the water's clear, you know it's done. So you don't even have to, you know, set a timer or anything. It's really just like making tea. Wool tinctures have been a lot of fun. In fact, at our fiber lab, which is sadly now um, drawers are closed for the time being, but we put in a dye bar there so people can walk in and choose your color and we'll dye whatever base you want from the store or bring your own, um, you know, right there on the spot. just takes a couple minutes and you can walk out of the store with freshly dyed custom hand-dyed yarn. The thing that I feel great about with these wool tinctures is I see so much waste in the textile industry, and I know we all do. As handcrafters, we're sensitive to the amount of time it takes to make things And to see how much waste is coming out of the textile industry, it's just so painful. It hurts to see. And to have now this way of dyeing that does not require me to keep a ton of inventory on hand that might or might not sell, I can dye an order when it comes in the same day and ship it within a day or two. And same in my personal crafting. If I have an idea for a project or a color I want to use, I can have it within 10 minutes. You know, it's not a big deal. And I don't have to put on the mask and the gloves, get out all the equipment. So anyway, wool tincture, color packs. Let me just tell you a little bit about this. And then um, we're going to move on to a crash course in dyes and give you like a backstory on what these dyes actually are. So. When you go to our online shop, you're going to see color packs and jar kits. The color pack has two tea bags in it of one color. So you choose the color you want, and there's enough in there to dye two skeins or up to 200 grams that would give you the same saturation of that color that you chose. Now, the dyes are measured to the weight of fiber, so you can play with that too if you want to mix and match tea bags or double up the strength or half strength that you can play with that. And the jar kit comes with the gallon-sized jar, um, dye jar, like I said. It comes with a skein of our worsted weight merino, a hat pattern, and any color pack of your choice. So all of those are great gift items, but also an excellent thing to do if you're looking for a project. And I know that all of you out there have a closet full of yarn that you might not like anymore, or it's been sitting there so long you don't like the color. Dig those out, put a little fresh batch of dye on it, and fix it up and use what you already have. Will tinctures make it simple and easy? Like I said, you don't have to be a dyer and you don't have to make a big fuss to make use of the yarn that you already have. Now, if the yarn you have at home is already dyed a certain color and you want to change the color, you can do that. There are limitations depending on what color you have and what color you want to arrive at. I'd be happy to help you with that if you send me an email with a picture of the yarn that you have and and tell me what you want. I'll give you some advice on which colors will get you closest to the color you're trying for. Feel free to reach out and I'd be happy to help you find the right color for you. So let's talk about the dye itself. What actually is it? There are lots of different kinds of dyes out in the world. Natural dyes, man-made dyes. Right would be like the big picture classification. Man-made dyes came into the picture during the Industrial Revolution when natural dyes started presenting some serious problems in scaling up production. Not only would plant dyes produce different colors year by year, depending on environmental factors, which we have no control over, but also the mordanting process and the amount of water and energy used was really a big problem for scaling up production. The first acid dyes were developed in 1858, and they've been improved on ever since. Acid dyes have become a classification now of many different types of dyes. So under the acid dye category, you have three different main categories of dye. Leveling dyes, milling dyes, and metalized or metal compound dyes, the dyes that we use are called milling dyes. I'll explain all that in just a second. I want you to understand that it is wrong to assume that natural dyes are better for the environment than acid dyes. Acid dyes get their name from the pH required to chemically bond the dye to protein fibers. Now, acid dyes are primarily used for protein fibers. Plant fibers like cotton, linen, and hemp, they don't work with acid dyes. They require a different chemical reaction for dyeing than, than wool and protein fibers do. Plant fibers typically like an alkaline environment, whereas wool and other protein fibers like alpaca and silk favor an acidic bath. So that's where the name acid dye comes from. Acid dyes work because of a mild acidity in the dye bath itself. So I said to you a minute ago, it's wrong to assume that natural dyes are better for the environment than acid dyes. One of the reasons that humans developed synthetic dyes is because natural dyes were so labor-intensive and resource-intensive. The amount of water, like I said, Also, the mordants, pre-treating the fibers in such a way that they will be able to fix to the dye is called mordanting. That's not required with acid dyes. Acid dyes don't require a mordant. So in natural dyeing, it's a whole nother step that more or less doubles the length of time required to complete the dye process. Mordanting was often done with heavy metals and really toxic chemicals. We've sort of switched natural dyeing to mordanting with alum, which is a safer, safer method. It's a pickling salt, so it's not going to harm and it's not toxic. Um, but what you are draining back into the soil is pickling salt. You're Pickling the soil, basically. When you dye with acid dyes, the dye bonds to the wool, leaving what's left is a mildly acidic water. So from my experience and my perspective, acid dyes can be healthier for the environment than natural dyes. Now, I am not at all saying that natural dyes are bad. I'm just saying they're very difficult to scale up. I think they are fantastically rewarding. And not all natural dyes require a mordant, to be honest. Indigo, walnut, to name a couple, they don't all require a mordant. What I am saying is that natural dyes have a lot of barriers to production, when you're trying to scale up or unify production. Between 1858 and 1935, acid dyes were improved on in such a way that we are still using them today. Super milling and milling acid dyes being the ones that we use in our mill, in in our wool tincture products. They are non-toxic, non-carcinogenic, and there has been no historical record of adverse side effects either in the factory workers or in the usage and application of milling acid dyes. In fact, many of them are the same dyes used in food. The three classifications of acid dyes are leveling dyes, milling dyes, and pre or metal compound dyes. Those three are listed in order of molecular weight so leveling dyes are the lightest they move the fastest they produce the most even color but however they are not very wash fast dry clean only leveling dyes are even but delicate on the other end of the spectrum you have the metallized dyes Which are even, which are the heaviest and the most durable. Think about industrial applications for dyed nylon straps or, or ropes or things like that. These dyes are way more permanent. They're heavier. They're fixed, but the colors that are produced are much less predictable. They might even appear dramatically different on different types of fibers or materials. Now, in the middle, between the two, you have the happy medium milling dyes, which are also called neutral dyes. They bond in a very mild, acidic bath. They both dye evenly and are very light and wash fast. The reason they're called milling dyes is because in the milling process of fabric, there's a lot of water used, especially in woven fabric. There's fulling and weaving and felting that all involves moisture at some point and in some way. With all of this moisture and agitation that goes into different milling processes, we needed to come up with a dye that would be very light, fast, wash fast, and also produce a predictable color. So that's where milling dyes came from. And that's the category of dyes, like I said, that we use in our wool tinctures. The term acid dyes has become so commonplace because it's not always transparent in a product which type of acid dye you're getting. Sometimes it's a combination. So if you want to know and be clear about what you're getting, ask your supplier. They should know. Incidentally, 1935 was also the year that DuPont released A new type of fiber called nylon. Nylon was created to be molecularly similar to protein fibers. So, nylon is the one synthetic fiber that will also adhere to these milling acid dyes. It acts like a protein fiber. And protein fibers are fibers that come from animals. So, it could be sheep alpaca, rabbits, goats, silk, um, human hair, uh, dog hair, anything with a protein derivative as opposed to a cellulose fiber, like a plant fiber. The earliest recorded dyed fiber actually was a plant fiber. A dyed flax was found in a cave in the Republic of Georgia around 34,000 B.C., So humans have been dyeing fiber for a very, very long time. So between 34,000 BC and 1856, textiles had been dyed from natural dyes in some form or another. The first synthetic dye came about on Easter weekend, like I said, of 1856 by a man named Sir William Henry Perkin. He accidentally discovered an intense purple dye called mauveen. Here's what happened. He was studying at the time at the Royal College of Chemistry in London. So he was a chemi- chemistry student under a professor, uh, August Wilhelm von Hoffmann. And Perkin's, Professor Hoffman had an idea on how they could synthesize quinine to treat malaria. Up until then, it was only found naturally and it was quite expensive. So he began experimenting on how to make a synthetic quinine. And he took his work home with him on Easter weekend and was messing around in his home when he accidentally created this substance with a very intense purple color. Well, Perkin had been an artistic sort of fellow as well into painting and photography. So he took that color and started playing with it and seeing what he could do with it as a, as a paint or as a pigment or as a dye. We got really, really excited about it, but he didn't want his professor Hoffman, to be involved in this. So so he and his buddies um, carried out all of the research around mauving in a hut in his garden. I forgot to tell you, he was 18 years old when he eventually patented this. This was a young kid. He came across this substance and just started playing with it. Well, he and his buddies ran a bunch of tests. They felt confident that they could dye silk and that it would be light fast and wash fast. All quite secretively. He gathered funding through family and friends. He created his own factory to produce this. And Mauveen not only was the first synthetic organic textile dye, but it also was the first mass produced, and he did it himself. The term synthetic organic sounds like an oxymoron, but really what it is is um, Sir William Henry Perkin was an organic chemist. So he would take the chemical structure of organic compounds and alter them. And you, you, when, you, when you change the structure of an organic compound, it changes its properties as well. So the acid dyes that we know today are considered synthetic organic. They're organic compounds that have been altered in some way. So they're both derived from organic materials and also synthetic in that alteration. The development of mauveine at the time that it was developed was so perfect because it was purple, and purple at the time was associated with royalty and upper class because the dyes for purple dyes were so expensive and hard to create and hard to come by. So having a synthetic form reached a demand at right in the height of the Industrial Revolution When um, natural dyes were really struggling to meet the demand, here was this synthetic organic purple dye. It checked all the boxes and Mr. Perkin was very successful in his life as an entrepreneur, even though he failed at his goal, which was to synthesize quinine to treat malaria. We really have Mr. Perkin and Mauveen and that, that first failure, that surprise success to thank for all the development that's come since then in synthetic organic textile dyes. So much came out of that and it came at such a perfect time. So many of our best ideas are masked as failures. Keep an open mind and don't be so quick to look down on mistakes. Knowing the story of Mauveen gives me newfound respect for the color purple. And maybe it's not so strange after all that on Easter weekend we dye things purple. When I was a kid, people used to ask me what my name meant Lydia. It's just a name, right? But some people would tell me Lydia was the seller of purple. I have no idea where that came from. But I am the seller of purple. I have two purple colors in my Wiltshire palette, plum and garnet. I'd love to send you some. Don't forget to use the coupon code at checkout, Colorfix, all one word, C-O-L-O-R-F-I-X. There's lots of colors to choose from, and I hope you find some that you love. Show your support for modern wool by visiting AbundantEarthFiber.com. You can get updates and special offers by joining our newsletter or place an order in our online shop to show your support for sustainable small batch yarn. We appreciate you so much for listening. And if you'd like to help us spread the word about this podcast, please take a minute, pop over to iTunes, and write a review. The more reviews we get, the more people will find us when they go looking for good podcasts about wool. And thanks to all of you who've already done that. It means so much to us. This has been another episode of the Modern Wool podcast brought to you by Abundant Earth Fiber. I'm Lydia Christiansen. Thanks again for listening.